you were expecting someone else? This is the Intrepid 007 Podcast. All right, so welcome everyone to another episode of the Intrepid 007 Podcast. Today, I've got with me the one and only Joseph Darlington from Being James Bond. How's it going, Joe? Emery, good to see you, man. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. Well, absolutely. I think it's it was about time. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Joe did the logo for the for the podcast. Joe was <laughs> long uh, time ago. Long time ago. Well, you know, I have been discussing it for a long time. I've been doing the the blogging for a while, and um, everyone tells me I've got a voice for radio, and I should be doing radio, and I just mm. never really found the right path to it. So. Here we are in podcasting, and uh, thanks to thanks to Joe, you get to hear my voice every week. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing GoldenEye, 25th anniversary this year. Uh, for me, it's a special anniversary because uh, GoldenEye was the first James Bond film that I saw in theaters. Um, so before we get into to the, 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 the meat of the discussion that I want to have with you, Joe, um, how did you perceive GoldenEye when you saw it in theaters uh, 25 years ago? Uh, wow, that's a big question because, um, well, there's two, there's two ways I'll answer that for you. The one is my actual reaction and how I liked it. But before that, I really have to sort of stress that it really was kind of a different, um, you know, again, this was a five-year pause. Yeah, six franchise. years. Yeah, six-year gap yeah. there. Um, so honestly, like, I, I remember when I first saw License to Kill, I saw that in the theater, and I was 19 when okay. I saw that. So still kind of excited that I even have a driver's license and able to go to see things with friends and stuff, you know, you know. Um, 25, you know, like if, if you remember 25, you feel like you're a whole different person. Like it's a huge yeah. gap. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh, like yeah. now you now you think you're a full blown grown up. you know? Um, so it was sort of wild when you saw the first trailers and you're like, holy cow, they're bringing back James Bond. Like this was a big deal. Not mm. like today where five years is just sort of the norm. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool. It was a pretty fun, exciting time, you know, to sort of like the, the return of James Bond to the big screen. Um, and my initial thoughts of it was, and, you know, I talked about it recently in my um, review, mm -hmm. so I won't bore you with the total details, but it, right. it felt like greatest hits. You know, it felt like yeah. a wonderful tribute to James Bond. You know, it was like a modern filmmaker now sort of looking back at this hero that's been around forever, um, revisiting all the tropes and, and putting a modern spin on it, um, which is, again, kind of funny when you think that it's it's only been five years since the one before that. But it really did sort of have like a whole different spin, um, a different feel where, again, this was sort of like a like a real fresh take on a classic hero. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a big deal. It was definitely a big deal. But for you, it was, it was different because you had experienced the, the kind of darkness of, of Dalton and License to Kill is my favorite Dalton movie just because of that, because it was so, yeah. uh, Benicio Del Toro, I think was great in that film. And so was, um, uh, Robert Davi, it was Robert Davi. Anyway, um, great actors, great mm -hmm. bad guys. It was a great performance. But I didn't experience like that. I had seen Goldfinger and I had seen like these older, the older Bonds. 
um, as a 12 year old boy and then GoldenEye in theaters. And it was just like, oh, another one. Mm. But it didn't have that same impact as this is, you know, I didn't see the connection necessarily to the old ones. And you mentioned the director taking, you know, uh, a different take on it because there's different, you know, things that they kind of went back at. There's kind of that Roger Moore humor and that mm. um, that kind of Sean Connery almost charm. And there's yeah. more gadgets. And but for me, it was um, it wasn't until later that I kind of realized all that and. Then you realize Martin Campbell also directed Casino Royale 11 years later yeah. and didn't use any of that. He didn't do it. It's not directed in the same way. It's it, They're two different movies visually and, and, and structurally. Yeah. It, it's funny how that, how that works. How the, the same director essentially reboots James Bond twice. Right. Yet the kind of feel of the films are very different both times. Did you feel that GoldenEye was a reboot? Or was that it was a continuation? Um, I, I don't think I... I think at the time, it kind of got by me. But I think now, looking back, I absolutely see it as an unspoken reboot. It kind of uh, was a soft reboot because, I mean, we had a new M that was completely different. Uh, they kind of brought back Tanner in a more prominent mm -hmm. role, in, in, starting in GoldenEye. Uh, it was the fall of the Soviet Union, so we had a whole bunch of yeah. those uh, elements that were completely different than the previous films. But um, mm -hmm. for me, it was just another Bond movie. But it's interesting to see it on that take was, was it considered at the time after a mm -hmm. year gap, a five or six year gap as being a reboot? Yeah, I, and, and I mean, they, 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 they do try to go out of their way to say that it's not. Um, I mean, again, obviously Q is in it. Desmond Llewellyn mm -hmm. is still there. Uh, and Bond references M as being the new M. You know, and he says, your predecessor had some uh, cognac. Uh, so they try to, you know, kind of keep it consistent and keep it in the same world. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I kind of felt like you had things like, uh, there's no mention of Bond having been married before. Uh, when right. he meets Terry Hatcher in the next one, she's sort of like the long lost love, which we'd never seen before. And again, no mention of the fact that he was ever married. Uh, so things like that sort of made me feel like it was kind of, like, you know, just sort of one of those like winks to the audience kind of reboot, but not really. Um, right. You know what I mean? But but it, but for all, for all practical purposes, I kind of felt like this this was a different world than we'd, we'd been living in so far. But to bring up a good point with Tomorrow Never Dies and, and Paris Carver, uh, in this one, we also see uh, Valentin Tukovsky, who has this past with Bond throughout the Cold War that apparently they kind of just brush over. Mm. We know that Valentin's got this, this limp because of Bond, but we never really go into how and why. And now they're kind of working together in this movie. They, they kind of more yeah. work together later on but in this movie they're kind of working together he's kind of pressing him for information um yeah. you mentioned mentioned judy dench being the new bond and we'd only seen that kind of once before that kind of transition mm. of a bond uh, of an m there was only one movie where m wasn't there i can't remember mm. which roger moore was for your eyes uh, only yeah. for your eyes only exactly yep. Yep. um so what did you think of judy dench coming in as as the new m having gone from these you know stuffy old men to a, yeah. a lively old woman. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny. I, you know, I, one of the things I've been talking about recently, and I feel like GoldenEye has been sort of like um, on the tip of my tongue in the last few weeks. Uh, but it's funny to me how, uh, and I don't know how far into this you want to get, 
but it, I've been sort of cracking up at everybody who's still sort of crowing. And it's only a, kind of a minority at this point crowing about the idea that that um, No Time to Die is going to be the first woke James Bond. And I've always <laughs> said, and I, I've been saying, well, have you seen Goldeneye? Have you have you not seen this movie? Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on it and say that it was, you know, but I mean, there was a very clear thing happening here where, you know, M puts him in his place. Money Punny puts him in his place. Uh, the Natalia character puts him in his place. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It was it was kind of a different time, and they were acknowledging that, that times were changing, uh, and they did it in a way that was funny. Right. And you can't not... I mean, Judy Dench was tremendous. I mean, what... Oh, yes, absolutely. What a magnificent decision to cast her as M. I mean, she's... I mean, and she was the only part that stuck around through the Daniel Craig years. I mean, everybody, yeah. every other part... They were very willing to recast and just totally clean the slate. But with her, they were like, you know what? She's just too good. She's yeah. too good. We're not going to recast her. So, um, and by the way, one of the things I think is amazing about Casino Royale is how Judy Dutch comes back to play the same character, essentially, yet there's something in her performance that tells you she's playing a different person. She's a, a different character now who is right. acting as M. Uh, so she's incredible. And I, I mean, she's got some of the best dialogue in Goldeneye. Mm -hmm. So the whole, she, she really does bring, and, and this is still back in the day when M was more or less resigned to just being in the office and not being out in the field. Right. So her presence packs a lot of punch into not a lot of screen time. But we do get that a little bit later on in, in the Brosnan years and in, in, well, in World is Not Enough where she's more active yeah. but not necessarily active. Um, yeah. But just in in the terms of the general plot of Goldeneye, um, with uh, the having a more active role for another double agent, uh, how did you find that? Because it hadn't really been done before with Trevelyan and 006. He was more of an active part of the mm. movie as a double O. We hadn't seen that before. We've seen brief appearances, but yeah. what did you think of that? Uh, I liked it very much, and I like how it was sort of the best of both worlds, where you saw the two. Um, side by side on the same team, or at least we think. Mm -hmm. uh, and then later on when he's the full-blown villain. So you sort of get to, you get a lot of, of Alex Trevelyan. You get a lot of Sean Bean. Right. Uh, yes, I thought that was very good. The, the film definitely does take a lot of liberties and a lot of creative choices happen here where they, they do, while on some hand, and again, this is sort of why I say it's kind of greatest hits in a way, but... Um, you know, in on some in on in some ways they are, and I give this I attribute this to Martin Campbell, by the way. In some respects, it's a very classic formula, but in other respects, they really do put sort of a twist on it. Mm -hmm. You know, and they kind of and Campbell does this again. He does it again in Casino Royale, where they take a lot of classic tropes, but they sort of give them a, a little twist. Right. Even the scene like where Trevelyan says, you know, is Q still up to his old tricks? Give me the watch because he knows the watch is is mm -hmm. so. Bond can't simply rely on on the old school gadgetry. Right. There's going to be some sort of a, a twist on that where he can't do his first plan, etc. So I think um, he's great. I think and and Sean, he's a great, great actor. So mm -hmm. he comes off really well in this. It was almost a it was, it was really a, a an ensemble cast because you had a lot of um, well actors who became bigger names later on. Um, trying to remember the name of the fellow who played. Um, uh, Dimitri 
uh, he was a well-known British actor now. Uh, he was in X-Men. He was in um, a few other things. Slipped my mind. Uh, Famke Dimitri, Jensen. You thinking of Boris? Boris, sorry, Dimitri. Uh, that's the Russian name. <laughs> Boris, he was played by... Uh, yeah. I've got it on the tip Alan of Alan Cummings, name. yeah. Alan Cummings, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a wonderful actor. He's one of those good, I find, character actors where he can play um, more or less anything because he's got that mm. physical ability to 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 act well uh, as yeah. well as just the speaking part famke jensen uh as Zinia on a top was probably the most intense bond girl villain that we've seen mm. we've seen them before but she was particularly good at what she did what did you think yeah. of, of of Zinia on a top yeah she you know it's funny i i i sometimes had sort of mixed feelings with her and a lot of that just has something to do with the fact um I, I never I never love it when they get American actresses to play foreign roles. Right. Um, and sometimes I'm just not crazy about when they have American actresses, period, because I, I want I want my Bond woman exotic, you know. Right. Um, but she you're absolutely right. She's a, she's in a larger than life kind of a character. We've had femme fatales before, but never like her, never where they were so physical so right. emotional, so energetic, you mm -hmm. know, so she's, I mean, she really puts the animal in, in that role and it's, it's really great. Right. Um, for the rest of, of, of 95, there was kind of a lot of other films that, that kind of maybe stole the limelight from Goldeneye. Um, we had the second Die Hard movie that was out, uh, Bad Boys, the first one that came out that year, um, Braveheart, Batman Forever, Apollo 13, um, some other flops, uh, Waterworld, not really super well received, but still kind of this classic movie that everyone talks mm. about, um, Mortal Kombat, uh, and of course Jumanji. Uh, with all those movies that kind of came out in the same year, um, do you think that, that GoldenEye opened up um, – to a new audience, you think that a lot of people would go and see another James Bond movie when we've got a lot of kind of new stuff coming out? I think they, you know, I, I'm having a hard time really remembering uh, box office numbers or any real specifics, but I do remember that the marketing for it was really good, and right. I kind of like that whole, you know, you know the name, you know the number, or the the world has new enemies. That whole opening. Um, yeah, I mean, so the teaser, the trailer stuff was all good, um, and uh, um, so yeah, I think, and frankly, I, I think you'll agree with this. One of the, the biggest, smartest things they did, or maybe it was a happy accident, was the GoldenEye video game, oh, which yes, I mean, reinvented uh, the first-person shooter, reinvented multiplayer, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and still, you know, it's gone down as one of the best video games of all time frankly uh, i own two copies i own the i can, I can see one of them all over your shoulder yeah exactly yeah <laughs> it's right there and i've got the uh, the copy for the wii as well which is um it's good but it's not as good it, it's got yeah. certain elements but it's more of your traditional shooter where you're just it's endless 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 enemies mm -hmm. whereas golden eye you know it was more i don't want to say logical but it was more realistic in the fact mm -hmm. that you had a few of them to get through but you know you still had other uh mission objectives and things like that and i played for hours and hours i didn't have a 64 growing up my parents um 
didn't believe in buying video game consoles, so I didn't have one. Yeah. So I'd go over to friends' houses and uh, yeah. yeah, and then I bought a Nintendo 64 for myself as an as an adult to mm-hmm. play Goldeneye. The only yeah. reason I bought it was to play Goldeneye. Uh, so for me, that was a, that was the cultural impact for me because as a 12 year old boy. Um, I had seen Goldfinger and I had seen some of the older movies, but then Goldeneye was my first one that I can kind of attach myself to because then when I ever, every single other movie came out while well, I was going to the theater with my friends to go see it. And mm. when we got to die another day, um, die another day kind of had more competition, uh, box office wise. Cause he had oh. uh, die another day, but then you had Jason Bourne, the Bourne identity that had come out, uh, that yep. year as well. So. Um, and I can't remember what year Mission Impossible came out, if it was 94 or 96. I have mm. in my head it was 90s, but it started to get more competition. I don't know if it's because Goldeneye was so successful, um, mm. but all these other kind of spy thrillers started coming out um, and kind of competed with that. So that I feel yeah. that because of Goldeneye, we kind of got everything else. The, the Mike Myers, uh, Austin mm. Powers movies kind of came out after that. Yeah. Uh, how did you see the cultural impact of, of Goldeneye making such a statement uh, with the video games and all that and, and on the rest of, of media? Mm. Well, you know, you're, you're making me um, think of something. Honestly, I wonder, because as, as you mentioned, all these other sort of competing spy franchises emerged. I wonder if the Bond franchise left itself vulnerable by not having a film out for so long. Um, right. Maybe a lot of other franchises said, you know what? The time is right. There's a there's a gap here. Uh, we're not infringing on someone else's territory if they're not going to do it. Um, so I wonder if that was um, part of the reason why you saw that phenomenon. Um, but the, the video game, honestly, I mean, you want to talk about a way to get the just the name of this film on the tip of people's tongues and right. young people you know i mean you know i've been saying how it's a shame they don't do video games today because that's how you brought in uh, the the younger generation to to bond right they do it to a certain extent but they don't do it as well cuz bloodstone was a was a flop um mm. the quantum of solace video game was also a flop um I know that when they went back and did some of the, they did From Russia with Love as a video game, and apparently that was pretty all right. Um, but they're not using it in the same way. And I remember when Goldeneye came out, um, it was they came out with a Tomorrow Never Dies video game, and they mm. came out with A World Is Not Enough, and it just, it wasn't the same game. The gameplay was completely different. Whereas yeah. if had they continued with Goldeneye, then they would probably have yeah. more success and. I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot that way, where if they had continued to mm. keep making great shooters like they did, um, yeah. we'd have a great Skyfall game, we'd have a great Spectre game, and we'd have a great Quantum of Solace game, yeah. and a great Casino Royale game, where we don't now. We don't have yeah. any of that. And I feel that they stopped marketing to um, the kind of 15-year-old market. I don't think 15-year-olds mm. want to go see a James Bond movie. My kids are somewhat interested in their uh, 10 and 6, but they're interested because, you know, because of dad. They're not yeah. interested because they're hearing about it. Right. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You were talking about the Quantum game, and I thought I thought the Quantum game was okay. And right. I remember feeling like that was probably uh, the best post-GoldenEye game. Because, like, I mean, you're right. I remember... Mm. You know, Tomorrow Never Dies was so-so. 
the world is not enough. I remember playing it and just being like, oh, it is what it is. It's fun and funny. Um, Quantum was probably the only game since GoldenEye that I remember sitting around and doing the multiplayer for a while. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was a solid okay. But uh, yeah, then once Bloodstone came out, I remember kind of, I, I think I got halfway through it and didn't even finish it. So... Yeah, you yeah. gotta have kind of keep the interest there, and you've got to have a good storyline. And I can mm. understand that if you don't have, uh, with Bloodstone, they didn't really have a source material to pull from. But yeah. it's not in my mind. It's not that hard to make, yeah, that kind of video game because you could just you know use a classic Hollywood formula and, mm. or bring back you know some bad guy like they did for uh, for me. James Bond Junior was part of my. my um, kind of generation and growing up, um, mm. I was subjected to that. Fortunately or unfortunately, whoever you ask, um, yeah. and they brought back. And for me, I, I couldn't understand how they brought back Odd Job and Goldfinger because <laughs> I clearly remember them dying in the movie. I mean, if Goldfinger yeah. survived, uh, they didn't address that. So yeah. uh, that was kind of one of those other things that followed with with Goldeneye is that they had the cartoon show and. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I know. You say, you know, even even the later Brosnans, not so much. Like when they stopped following the movies, they got better too. The Agent Under Fire was pretty good. I remember yeah. I like. I remember liking that one. And even Night the Everything Fire. or Nothing was. Everything. Yeah, Nightfire. Yeah. 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 Uh, those are pretty solid. I remember. I remember liking those. But yeah, it took them a little while to get back on track. And um, I, you know, I, I even remember 007 Racing, and I remember uh, not a great game. But I remember what was clever was that whoever wrote the game seemed to know their Bond trivia pretty well because they would bring back characters that were not killed in the film. Like they, they knew who was killed and who was not. Right. So these really sort of off like characters you would never remember unless you were a hardcore fan were, right. were popping back up. It was a ham-fisted way of getting them back into the game. It was like, you know, why, why would they be surface, resurfacing again? But still, it was clever that they put some thought into it. But for me, I kind of had that a hard time grasping the idea of let's make a whole video game around just the cars. Because, I mean, yeah, there are a few in there, but mm. I think that adding the downloadable content to other existing video games is kind of a cool yeah. way of, of doing the nod. Um, I think that's easier to do, and that's, but you, it's hard to make a game just around driving because, yeah, there's a lot of good car chase sequences, but mm. they're maybe five minutes long. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's again and it wasn't a very polished looking game. It was a, it was a really odd kind of little sloppy. But, but uh, probably better than the yeah, one they I've came seen, out I've with. I've seen better uh, better attempts elsewhere. Uh, they they came out with that game for the iPhone which was uh James Bond World of Espionage that was a total flop because I did not understand how that game had anything to do with James Bond. It seemed that they had just taken mm. some medieval war game and plastered James Bond over top of it and hoped it was going to mm. work. Yeah. Um, but I feel that all started with GoldenEye. GoldenEye came out. They had the they had the great marketing of tying it in with the video game, uh, mm. and that carried on for a few years. Yeah. We don't have that now, and um, I think they've they've kind of they they've left that market alone. Um, there's a lot of young Bond fans that are out there um, who are popping up on Instagram who are, who are getting into it now, but mm. they're getting into it on the tail end of Daniel Craig's run. They're going to experience 
what you experienced for for License to Kill going into GoldenEye. We don't know how long this gap's going to last. We've already waited five years between Spectre and No Time to Die. How long are we going to wait for Henry Cavill to become James Bond in the next movie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. For all the, um, the lead-up to No Time to Die and all the excitement we've got for this one, um, there is a part of me that's a little worried. I feel like once this is gone you know once we're over this hill it's hard to say what's what's going to come next or how long it's going to be till we're till we're here again well i don't think they're going to make the same i'm hoping that, that mgm and and eon doesn't make the same mistake uh and and leave us with that much of a gap uh it was mm -hmm. kind of you know no time to die was kind of the consequence of a director being dropped and we kind of didn't understand all that reason we may never know exactly what the reason for all that mm. was but with the with the changing of directors and things like that um i think that that probably was w what really caused this last delay but i mean to wait another five years uh you know i'll mm. be into my 40s by then and not that I'm going to become disillusioned with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm going to become disillusioned with Bond, but um, I think it's 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 getting harder and harder to kind of stick with it. Um, mm. Whereas we were coming in when Brosnan started, you know, he was complaining that it was hard on him and it was it was difficult because physically it was difficult. And I can understand that he was coming out with a movie every two years, mm. but I think that still can be considered as reasonable for us to expect a new movie every two or three years and not expect it to wait five years between films because even Marvel doesn't do that. Marvel gives mm. us a blockbuster twice a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's a little frustrating. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, Marvel, I, I pretty sure has, has now surpassed James Bond in just sheer number of films. Uh, oh, so, yeah. It's pretty extraordinary. Uh, yeah, it is. It is a little frustrating. You know, I, I was listening to I was talking to somebody recently um, and they were kind of mentioning how uh, like Ben Wishaw recently had done an interview when he said doing this film felt more like doing an independent film. Right. And, you know, and and everybody was like, well, wow, that's that sort of uh, and somebody reminded me, they said, well, you know, believe it or not, James Bond has always been an independent production because it's really been the most successful mom and pop um you know uh franchise yeah. ever because i mean it's it's always been the broccolis it's always been this small company making james bond um they've never sold out to a larger company that that you know cranks out blockbusters year after year um so yeah i mean and i i do think that the lack of consistency has I'll just say it. I feel like it's harmed the franchise. Like we were saying before, I think the right. gap uh, before Goldeneye left a vacuum and left them susceptible. Like, I, I, those those franchises we were talking about, like Mission Impossible, yeah, uh, Born, uh, and even Austin Powers. Um, if they were still making James Bond films, would they have thought, well, we don't want to step on anyone's toes, we don't want to rip, look like we're ripping these people off? But since they stopped, they said, well, why not? Let's jump um, on the bandwagon. Let's let's jump in there and get our product there out there because we have the rights and why mm -hmm. shouldn't we get a piece of the pie? Um, and I and, and I think that's kind of the detriment of everything and the fact that I think it got complicated for for Eon in the '80s because they had lined up Pierce Brosnan to star in mm -hmm. The Living Daylights 
And yeah. that fell through because someone else said, well, no, if you want them, I want them back um, for go. Remington Steel and that kind of, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know if they had another actor in line for Goldeneye and then they went back to Pierce Brosnan. I don't know if I remember, if I'm misremembering and that's why the gap took so long. Um, uh, no, I mean, the gap was the gap was legal issues and I'm pretty sure they were always on the on the Pierce Brosnan bandwagon. Right. Um, so I, I think once Dalton said, you know what? Nah, I, I think I've had enough. Right. They went right back to, to Pierce. But with the legal issues, too, I know that um, during that time, there was also the issues with trying to get the, the Spectre rights back. Um, there was some licensing issues as well that they I heard a rumor that MGM traded the rights to Spider-Man to Sony to get the rights to Casino Royale at one point or some crazy story like that. Um, I'm glad that we've held on to as much of the rights as we've had. Um, and we've done pretty much everything out of the literature from Fleming. We haven't touched really, we've borrowed from Gardner and we've maybe borrowed a little bit from Benson, but we've never done one of their Mm -hmm. books as a film. Do you think it's time that we do that? Because these were born in those same eras. It was, we've got from the eighties, we got from the nineties. We've got some more modern ones that we could take from. Do you think it's time to do to to stop writing new stuff and try and invent stuff that we've already got and twist it like Spectre mm. and Blofeld and things like that and just go to someone who's already established a world? Uh, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I've um, you know, when they when they went back and did Casino Royale, I remember thinking that the only possible way you could follow that up is if they just went back and did the. I mean, the next book in line was Live and Let Die. Right. So I thought only way to keep that momentum going would be to just go back to the Fleming books and start over again and right. go forward and, and follow the books uh, in the order they were written. More um, closely. And yeah, it, yeah it, it's a weird, it, it would be an imperfect experiment, though, because a lot of the books, like some of the films have stayed close to the books. Some have mm. like been nowhere near the books. Um, right. And other, other films have mined parts of the books. So to try to do that, you'd start, you'd see all kinds of familiar things. And uh, as far as doing this, the, uh, the continuation novels, I, I think that would be fine, frankly. Um, you know, Benson, Raymond Benson did a couple. You could almost tell when Raymond Benson was writing that he sort of had, it was almost like he's doing films on the page. Right. Um, like novelizations to films that don't exist yet. Right. Uh, so I think those would be pretty ripe if uh, we wanted to. High Time to Kill is a great one. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You know, he, he really he definitely had a um, he, he had his finger on the pulse of what made a good Bond film, I think. So it's very possible. I think he was better um, on it than than Gardner was because, um, well, if you've heard me talk about it with uh, with Matt and Edgar from the James Bond Complex, I'm not mm. really a fan of Gardner. Uh, he he's done some good movie uh, books, um, but I'm not necessarily a a fan of him. And I always wondered, you know, once they ran out of original material, I mean, the first one that wasn't named for a Bond movie or a Bond book or or a Fleming book and that wasn't didn't take at least something from it was License to Kill, Um, Mm. which was great. But it's kind of also the black sheep of the franchise at that point because it was really dark and it was really out there. Mm. Um, And then Goldeneye comes along and it's kind of rehashing old things, as you were saying, like old ideas 
Um, yeah. But it was re- completely original. I mean, we hadn't seen that storyline before. And since then, we've only really had Casino Royale that kind of went back to its roots. Um, mm. What do you think of, of after No Time to Die? Where should we go? Are we rebooting again or are we continuing along that line? Because I feel that with Daniel Craig, they've made kind of a couple of cracks at his age. And in the mm. No Time to Die trailers, they're kind of taking cracks at his age as well. Uh, mm. what, what do you think? Uh, well, they have certainly uh, made his age a factor in these films, which is sort of odd to me because I feel like, I mean, like literally in Skyfall, they're telling telling him that he should be retired. Inspector, he he legitimately does retire, and now they're pulling him out of retirement. I'm saying to myself, but could you imagine, like, if if by the time Connery's doing Goldfinger, they're telling him that he's over the hill and he needs to retire? Right. You know, at, at the at the end of Thunderball, he literally does retire. I mean or Roger Moore, or, I mean, Pierce Brosnan, by the time he did The World Is Not Enough, he, he needs to be retired. Um, you know, so I kind of felt like they kind of painted themselves into a corner right. by chasing that storyline a little too soon. Um, so in terms of where they would go after this, I you know what? I, I kind of wish I could say, don't reboot it. I'm rebooted out just... You know, it took us this long to get Q and Money Penny back into right into the franchise. We have a new M now, so let's just go forward. But with that said, could you really just recast James Bond, pretend Daniel Craig wasn't here, and then go forward? Uh, I mean, we did it for you know twenty something films, twenty films yeah. before Craig came along. But yeah, they, they've kind of gotten so deep into him and this whole sort of story arc that they're trying to do that I, I can't see how you would simply recast him, kind of pretend nothing happened and just go forward. Right, because all the rumors about uh, Henry Cavill, I mean, I mentioned it before, but he, yeah. he's my choice. But at the same time is how can you take a guy who's my age uh, in his in his mid to late 30s and then say, well, he's actually in his late forties, and you know, mm. y- you can't, you can't age him in the same yeah. way as you're trying to de-age Daniel Craig. I mean, we're trying to turn back the clock yeah. on him, and we're going to go to mm. turn forward. Um, I'm really curious to see what they did when they made the change from Timothy Dalton to Pierce Brosnan. What was your impression before? the film came out, what they were going to do with the series. Because now we're talking about what we think is going to happen with the next changing of the guard. And this is maybe mm-hmm. something that um, some of the new guys who are coming up uh, are thinking about. But what did you think back in the day when Dalton was changing over to Brosnan? Um, well, interestingly, again, it's I, I was sort of around. I mean, again, my first Bond film in the theater was Octopussy. The first one I ever saw mm-hmm. was... Um, for your eyes only. So I, I kind of grew up in the Roger Moore era. So I had already seen one changing of the guard. Um, and they kind of just, you know, like we said, see what was fascinating to me about that time in history. Like, like there's, there's two things I always say about Roger Moore that I think, you know, people sort of forget, like just how good he was. Um, one of them was that, well, first of all, whether or not you like the lighthearted stuff that sort of happened in the middle of the uh, the more yeah. years, it really did carry the franchise 
throughout a period where people were just kind of not interested in, in the, the hardcore spy stuff. Right. Um, the other thing that is fascinating about Roger Moore is that when you see the, the leap from Moonraker to For Your Eyes Only, they right. said, look, we want to get serious again, no more silly stuff. We want to get something that's a little more harder edge. They didn't have to reboot and recast James Bond to do that. No, they just could you change I mean? the tone from film to film. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah. So by the time Dalton comes in again, the tone changes. A lot of the things about the films so, sort of change, but M is still the same. Mm -hmm. uh, Q is still the same. Like a lot of the other supporting characters, Gogol is still there. Right. Uh, so they they definitely kept it in that same world. Didn't have to recast, reboot the whole thing to get that sort of a mood. So when Brosnan came along, for the most part, like I said, I mean, it did feel like there was a lot of things that were new and fresh and different. Mm -hmm. But they didn't shine a spotlight on the idea that this is a whole reboot. So, right. you know, so it, it was it was not as as daunting or challenging as it is today, where it's like. Every time there's going to be a change of actor, we're going to have to reboot the franchise. Um, you know, I mean, even, even when they brought in Craig, I didn't know that they had to, like, when Craig came in, they could have just said, or 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 just not said, frankly, like, they could have done a, a, a Pierce Brosnan, where, okay, look, here's the new guy, we're recasting, you don't have to shine into a spotlight the on the reboot. Yeah, yeah, into the past and keep going. Right. Uh, but now that's kind of where we are. So that's why I kind of wonder, like, once he's done, are we going to have to just do a whole, you know, roll the dice again and reboot all over again? Right. I'm, I'm worried about that. And I was really worried between um, Brosnan and Craig because this was the first time I was experiencing a large gap. I mean, you had the five, six year. I've, this was a four year gap. Um, mm. And I didn't expect there to be huge gaps between the next films with the same actor. I you yeah. know, was expecting to be, you know, a change of the guard would have already happened technically because historically they've only ever done uh, six, seven years, 10 years mm. as a run of Bond. And then they've moved on. Craig's done 14 yeah. and he's only got five movies under his belt. Um, mm. I didn't like Daniel Craig um, when they announced him. I was mm. I was legitimately one of those guys who said, nope, this isn't going to work. He's blonde. He's too cocky. He looks like he's the bad guy. He he reminds me of mm. he reminded me of Trevelyan, to be honest, the way he yeah. looked at in movies I had seen him in before. Uh, and we were talking before about American actors playing foreign accents. One of the first movies that I saw with Daniel Craig was Tomb Raider, which was yeah. kind of you had that double where you had. Angelina Jolie with the British accents and Daniel Craig with the American accent. Yeah. But it always works better the other way around. The Britons mm. always play a better American accent than Americans play a British accent. Um, so yeah. when I had seen him in that, I've seen him on all these like badass roles. And I'm like, this is, I don't think this is going to work. And mm. then complete shock and surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was pretty optimistic when they announced him. In fact, I was actually, I mean, I was very surprised because, you know, Die Another Day, despite logic, made a ton of money. Um, right. You know, we, this... I, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, for me, it's like, wow, is it, that one, that's a stinker. For um, me, it was a Hollywood, it was, you could see that it was, it was a Hollywood blockbuster that they were trying to make. 
And just in the opening sequence with the surfboard was like, oh, no, get him on skis. That's what he, you know, get him underwater. We haven't done underwater in such a long time. Get him under there with a spear gun. And um, that's what I'm hoping Craig gets to do or got to do one day. And we've seen him in a bathing suit, but we haven't seen him kill people in a bathing suit yet. Yeah, I I remember feeling the same way. When I saw Die Another Day, I said between... The surfing and the fencing. It's almost like I could I could just imagine the conversations in the writing the writer's room. What hasn't Bond done yet? And this is all they can right. come up with. Um, but anyway, I so so the fact that they were going to recast Brosnan did surprise the hell out of me because again he he'd been nothing but successful up until that point. So the films mm-hmm. were not this you know this was not a case where the films were losing steam, losing box office. So they needed to to jumpstart it. He was doing fine. Uh, I think that the Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson just sort of said, ah, you know, these other, these other franchises, they're really kind of making us look silly. So let's, yeah, let's kind of get, get back to basics. And, and so when they cast Craig, I, again, I didn't, I really didn't know him. People told me, no, he was in Tomb Raider. I could not remember him in Tomb Raider at all. Um, so I went and I rented Layer Cake and, yeah. Based on that, I was like, okay, I see where they're going with this. I, I see it. I wasn't totally convinced. Once I saw the trailer, then I was like, right. okay, I, th- I think they got something here. Because with the the previous two, we had seen them on TV. Uh, well, uh, yeah, with uh, with uh, Roger Moore, we see him uh, mm-hmm. on The Saint, uh, Remington Seal for Pierce Brosnan. So we kind of see them in these, like, the not a same role but kind of a similar Similar, style and look um whereas craig we'd only seen him in like a handful of movies and i just thought he looked too much like you know the russian bad guy i didn't think that he could have the capacity of being james bond and i mean he 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 surprised the hell out of us um we were making the point before about die another day and it makes me think of moonraker had they just continued with Pierce Brosnan. I know that Pierce didn't want to do it, but had he continued, they could have turned it around in the same way. Um, you know, Moonraker was considered as one of the sillier of the Roger Moore era. Uh, Die Another Day is definitely the silliest of the Pierce Brosnans, and they were competing against Mission Impossible uh, and things like that. Uh, Mission Impossible 2, for me, and comparing that to Die Another Day, I much prefer Die Another Day. Just because Mission Impossible 2 bothers me so much with the masks. And he's always changing his face. <laughs> and you never know who's who. Yeah. And I, I refer to it at home as mask, mask, mask. Because that's that's all he does in that movie. And it doesn't have the same <laughs> substance as the first one. The first one I find uh-huh. is is great. Um, you get into the second one and it's like, what happened? Where's Where's that... See, I, I, I'm one of the weird people. I, I, I'm definitely in the minority. I actually like Mission Impossible 2 a lot. Okay. Um, in fact, I, I've even gone on record as saying that to, that to me, in some ways, it's kind of a perfect spot. That's really kind of overstating a little bit. But I remember thinking, like, when you saw the first one, you needed, like, a calculator and a slide roll to sort of make sense of that oh, story, that plot. Yeah. So I think this time they kind of went totally the opposite direction. where where it's And there's even a conversation with, like, uh, Tom Cruise, the Ving Rhames character. Okay. And he, he, he kind of cracks the, he's like, so he made a virus and he made the antidote and he, and Big Raymond goes, that simple. And Tom Cruise goes, why not? It was almost <laughs> like they were telling the audience, we're not going to go, we're not going to get too nutty. Right. We're going to keep it simple here. We're keeping it um, simple. I, well, because the first one was just 
it was overcomplication and overcomplication. I had to watch yeah. it three or four times before. Now I get it. And then you watch it a fifth uh -huh. time, and no, I didn't get it the first time. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, I was uh, with the Born Identity coming out in 2002, which was at the same time as as the last James Bond. And we have that kind of the silly Bond movie compared to the hardcore spy story of Born. Um, I think that's what hurt the Bond franchise maybe a little bit more because someone was taking over the serious side of what mm -hmm. they had been doing um, and born with the first three were enormously su successful. Uh, one of my favorite series, that trilogy. I haven't seen the one with Jeremy Renner. I have seen the... <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to do it anytime soon, but uh, no, but I, I want to review it for the podcast to to, <laughs> to be consistent with everything else because I'm really curious to see Treadstone, uh, and I know that Bud West was talking to me about it and saying that because it goes kind of like back and forth between the mm -hmm. '70s and today and and everything that it kind of fills in those gaps. I didn't like the the fifth. The, the just plain Jason Bourne yeah. and in between those movies coming out I actually read the books the first trilogy and there is so much stuff in the books that they don't do in the movies especially yeah. in the second and third book that mm. you've got a movie right there it yeah. is it's, you've got so much right there that you're not touching uh, yeah. and I, I, talked I, I don't know if you know this but um, you know the original Bourne Identity there was a right. uh, there was a miniseries in the late 70s, early 80s right. with Richard Chamberlain. Right. And it, 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 is, it is much closer to the book. Um, so you, it, it, I, I wouldn't recommend it as, you know, it's great or anything. Right. But if you're curious to see how, like, another how interpretation the book of the out. book, okay. yeah, it's, it's worth yeah. checking out. Because, I, I mean, from the book, Carlos the Jackal was the kind of that fixative part that carries through the trilogy and they mm. change it for the movie. And I can understand um, on a cinema standpoint why they change it for the movie, because uh, mm. it simplifies the complication of, of Born already. Um, and I'm not don't want to knock the movies because the movies are great uh, as a standalone series mm. inspired by the first book as a standalone series. It's, it's great. Um, yeah. But that did come into competition with 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 bond and i found that it, it really kind of weakened the brand i think up until tomorrow never dies i feel was maybe a little bit weaker than golden eye that we kind of got back world is not enough is one of my favorite bond movies uh of the brazen era mm -hmm. um so i find it kind of was like a, a zigzag going up and down uh tomorrow never dies had the had the the most plausible plot i found um, because of its kind of simplification, because all they were doing was tricking GPS codes to, um, you know, cause an event so they can report on it and make money off of it. Mm. Um, the other ones kind of get a little more wacky. World is not enough is, is plausible as well, but die another day was, I felt was kind of, well, we're just going to rip off parts of diamonds are forever. Cause we're going to launch us the movie, not the book, but we're going to launch a satellite covered in diamonds um and and yeah. you know shoot lasers at people um yeah. i found that kind yeah. of started to dilute from there yeah see it's funny the bra i mean the brazen years to me are very um like craig to me is like up down up down and hopefully back up um right. whereas Roz and i kind of feel like it just just stays kind of middling for the most part like 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 right. all of them are just kind of they're 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 good 
you know, they're they're good, never great. Except and then then Die Another Day just kind of goes takes a dump. Um, right. But before Die Another Day, I mean, they they all st- kind of just tread water and they're just solid stuff. There's just so many things in Die Another Day to me that that worked so poorly. Um, but then when we get Quantum of Solace isn't a bad idea. It was poorly written. And there's kind of plot points mm-hmm. that you can tell shouldn't have been there. And you know why it is the way it is. And you kind of wish that if they had just waited a year for the strike to be over, they could have polished mm-hmm. the script better and they, we could have had a better story. Um, yeah. I'm one of those weird people that liked Spectre. Um, I do recognize that there are many, many things wrong with it. Um, yeah. especially Blofeld. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shy away from the fact that Blofeld doesn't work yeah. at all in the way that it's, yeah. it's brought, but as a, as a action movie, if we're taking it as a standalone, mm. I don't find it as bad as some other people perceive it. Um, mm. but I don't feel that way about die another day by die another day is as bad as everyone thinks it is. <laughs> um, yeah. the story isn't there. The bond girl isn't, isn't great. Uh, Halle Berry has done some great work. Uh, she's great in, in swordfish. She's great in other stuff, but it's, this is kind of one of her movies where they could have hired someone else. Anybody else? Uh, yeah. yeah I, listen, I'm with you, and I think um, I, I'll I'll tell you the truth. I mean, I, like Spectre for me is like um, sometimes I think it's passable. Other times right. I go, wow, that is shockingly bad. Um, <laughs> th- there are decisions, like you said, that like especially around like Blofeld and that whole thing that are kind of like shockingly bad. Um, but I I kind of wonder if the um, as much as I said the Craig tenure sort of does this. I wonder if maybe after No Time to Die, if um, if you looked at the series as almost like like if you if you, if you watched all five in like a ten hour movie marathon, right? And 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 not so much you know one movie, two movie, three movie, and just sort of kind of watch it all the way through because a lot of what they do is like Quantum almost feels like an asterisk in the column after Casino. You know, it's like I feel like one of the problems with Quantum right. is that it's a full blown sequel which they never really did before. So does that work now? Does it stand on its own? Um, Skyfall sort of stands on its own, but then Spectre kind of is sort of on the on the heels of, of Skyfall in a lot of ways. So I think if you watch the whole thing in a one big block, then maybe your your judgment will be a little bit different. It might work. I, I really like Quantum, the, the organization. I think that that worked well. And I feel that even if they hadn't gone to get the rights to Spectre, they could have just used Quantum because they kind of have all the elements there. Uh, Green Planet was was horrible, but the idea of Quantum, uh, how they met at the opera and things like that, mm. that was uh, that was a, 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 a great concept. And that was probably one of the stronger points of the movie where, you know, all these criminals are, are meeting all classy and in the same place, but not holding a meeting physically somewhere. Um, you know, mm. they're not in their hall and they're not in their secret lair. They're in yeah. public talking about what they're going to do. And Spectre kind of touches upon what Quantum does. But mm. there's things that work. There's things that don't work. Um, I think that No Time to Die is going to kind of maybe tie off some of those loose ends that mm. we felt from Spectre, especially with Madeline Swan. I think there's a kind of a really big reveal that we're going to get that's kind of might tie off some things about 
the kind of hierarchy and, and without necessarily going back and um, kind of touching and rewriting history and, and, and kind of like, you know, uh, rise of Skywalker and the whole thing. Uh, I, to, to use another star Wars kind of um, comparison, I feel mm. quantum was a lot like shadows of the empire where it's the kind of that period between two films that is related to the story. But if you ignore it completely, it doesn't matter because not much really mm. gets done. There's kind of that resolution of, you know, he finds, um, the guy who had been with Vesper, who had lied to her, that was part of Quantum, that was luring her in and getting the information mm. out of her. And so we get that kind of conclusion. But other than that, the majority of the story doesn't have much to do with Casino Royale other than exploding mm. what Quantum was. And right. yeah. I don't feel that even that was necessary because if we had skip over Quantum and just save you know, that little beginning and that little end piece and then go right to Skyfall and then right to Spectre. Mm. You know, the whole quantum organization doesn't have to exist for Spectre to thrive, but yeah. to have it replace quantum with Spectre just because, yeah. well, we got the rights to it. Let's do something with yeah. it. See, ironically, all they had to do was not give the organization the name quantum. I mean, yeah. that, that is quite that literally like the only thing they kind of goofed up with that because... See, ironically, see, one of the things about Spectre that sort of drives me nuts is that they they wrote a story about how all of the prior events were all tied together under yeah. some umbrella organization. And on one hand, that's totally left field and where did this come from? But then, but then it's like, well, wait a second. You literally did set that up in Casino. Right. You, you kept going with that through Quantum. And now when they went to actually kind of... And then they sort of forgot about it in Skyfall, which is fine, because to me right. it's kind of like Dr. No from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, they sort of forget about Spectre. Then right. they come back in Thunderball, and kablam, here's the organization. Right. That's kind of what Spectre should have been. But it was almost like they sort of forgot that, that they were leading up to this. And now they're kind of retconning things. Um, and they just kind of dropped the ball on it. And it's like, but if you, if you just kind of thought this through a little bit you would have had something pretty great so you're saying as if they had not named quantum at all and just left it blank then everything's yeah. the same i i can completely get on board with that but they can't retcon it now because they would have to explain yeah. how they changed their name and you know that they go and registry register the name right, of the right. organization or that yeah. it, it becomes very complicated yeah. very if, you if know they, they could have even just said operation quantum or something like that then it wouldn't right. have been the end of the world and, and what's doubly frustrating is that like they use the title quantum of solace because it's a fleming short story right right but because they didn't use it in, in the context of the short story, the short story was literally had nothing to do with like a James Bond plot. No, it not was kind of just the musings of Fleming talking about something else and quantum of solace, a measurement of peace that could have been a conversation that Mathis had as James Bond saying, look, you have to get over it. You got to find a little bit of, of comfort and solace, et cetera. Right. That, that could have been why that title is in there. Cause that's essentially what Bond's arc is supposed to be in that film anyway. Right. Instead, I guess people are too dumb to know what quantum is, so they'll they'll call the organization quantum and give them little Q pins. Yeah, I that that was that was a, a missed. Uh, they kind of dropped the ball there, as far as I'm concerned. 
But I don't think they even had to to explain Quantum of Solace as the name of the film. They could have just left it alone and just because I mean, you know, Golden Eye is the weapon, and the world is not enough. Yeah. Is his, uh, um, you know, they they kind of and you know the names are either super catchy because they're marketable or they have a direct relation with the actual movie, Doctor No, Goldfinger, um, etc. So yeah, uh, I think that um, I think we, we we've got the same kind of ideas there. Um, uh, thank you very much for uh, for taking the time with me uh, here, uh, Joe. Um, sorry, I can't see you in person uh, in February. I'm I'm <laughs> so so so. Um, you know what? I, I was really feeling down about it, but then my wife bought me uh, tickets to the Montreal Casino Royale uh, in concert nice. event. So I kind nice. of was like. This pretty much makes up for it, and I'm spending <laughs> that with the James Bond complex, yeah. so I'm gonna be I'm yeah. happy with that. But I'm 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 really I really want to get out to to you know see everyone in uh, in the New York in the upstate uh, upper northeast corner of of the states uh, sometime soon. So uh, hopefully we can make well, that happen. There will not be a shortage of, of Bond gatherings, my friend. So we will definitely oh uh, I know we'll cross paths at some point. <laughs> All right. All right, thanks very much for doing this, Joe. Anytime, brother. Thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Intrepid 007 podcast. Please, if you're not already doing so, follow us on Instagram at 007 underscore Intrepid. I'm also on WordPress. You can see my blog there at intrepid007.wordpress.com. Of course, you're listening to this podcast. You're obviously listening to us either on SoundCloud or via iTunes or Spotify. Tune in next time. The Intrepid 007 podcast will return.